0: restaurant unstoppable episode 1016 with Nick Matthews it ties back into like my
1: background and a lot of kind of how we think about um the work we do at main best and also like the work at like Any entrepreneur, like in that early stage of starting a business, the kind of importance of working and really taking ownership of what you're doing. And as you're growing that company, bringing on people and a team that, you know, aren't just kind of there for the hour by hour, but really do care about the mission. And we are very mission centric and aligned about what you do and feel a sense of ownership for the work you're doing. Are you ready for it factors success stories? Failures and bombs of restaurant
0: industry knowledge. Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Systems Pro, and they are launching their first time ever 60 day pilot it, more butts and seats and that's not it if you are interested in this head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com rsp that's rsp for restaurant systems pro www.restaurantunstoppable.com rsp restaurants unstoppable network is coming back and we are stronger than ever before so during the pandemic, I started the network as a way to evolve and adapt, and when things opened back up, I was on the road again. That is my happy place, but there is value in the network, but I knew I couldn't be on the road and do the network at the same time, so I recruited Callan Miola to be our community manager, and she is killing it. She is organizing things like I could never have done on my own, and we are getting After it. So if you want to be a part of the conversation, the podcast is the leading edge. We're out there. We're turning over rocks. We're finding leads. The network is where we pull back the layers. We dive deep, but we connect our listeners to the tools, services and organizations that are being referred to us organically. If you want to be in the network act now, because the first 50 people to sign up will get a free t-shirt head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash whatever the episode number is find the link or the banner in the show notes and you will get a 30-day trial to get into the network get a free shirt and if you opt into the one year plan we will throw in a hat and a mug thank you in advance Restaurant owners and operators, you can make a difference in the lives of your staff and their families by supporting CORE, which stands for Children of Restaurant Employees. CORE is a national nonprofit that provides financial grants to food and beverage service employees with children when either the employee, their child, or their partner faces a life-altering medical crisis or natural disaster. Not only can you share CORE as a benefit and resource with your staff. You can also donate directly or host a fundraising promotion. Core critically needs your financial support to continue to provide relief to restaurant employees that qualify for a grant when life does not go as planned. Support of Core allows you to give back to your employees and restaurant families across the country. Visit coregives.com. Org to learn more. Together, we can make a difference in the lives of those who serve us daily. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Nick Matthews, CEO of MainVest. My man, Nick, are you feeling unstoppable today? Absolutely. Dude, I'm psyched to be here. So you guys reached out and I I don't always say yes to folks that reach out to me because I really try to let restaurants stoppable be organic. I really try to find my leads from people who have used that service and have can testify on it. But you guys are such a, a young company and it's been, how long have you been around now?
1: Been around for uh, like three and a half, four years. So but like, again, with throughout the pandemic, and you're helping people
0: find yeah. money, right? Absolutely. So what are the odds that at this point that, you know, people have taken your money and, and have been around for five years and are super successful. But I did my research I think you guys had one of my past guests on the show. Does Rachel Miller, Miller sound familiar? Oh, of course. Nice She is yeah. one of your past or your past clients or current.
1: Uh, I guess uh, she used the platform, but like all of the businesses that we work with, yep. we work with for the long term. So she's Got definitely it. a current client. And
0: you have one of your one of my members of Restaurant Unstoppable Network, Adam from the Fox Den. Oh, yeah yeah so i'm like okay there's some there's some signs here i'm finding clues and honestly man if I, I gotta be honest like this is important work that you're doing like finding capital raising capital is one of the hardest things for starting a restaurant tour so i figured there's this this this, this there's something here i want so you, you got my interest i'm here i cannot wait to dive into main that main best how you guys started what the story behind the company is and what my listeners need to know, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote mantra. What do you got for us?
1: Uh, be an owner, not a renter.
0: Be an owner, not a renter. Why did you choose that?
1: It ties back into like my background and a lot of kind of how we think about um, the work we do at Mainvest and also like the work at like... Any entrepreneur, like in that early stage of starting a business, the kind of importance of working and really taking ownership of what you're doing. And as you're growing that company, bringing on people and a team that, you know, aren't just kind of there for the hour by hour, but really do care about the mission. And we are very mission centric and aligned about what you do and feel a sense of ownership for the work yeah. you're doing.
0: I think that's just a good lesson in general to like own assets and to not pay rent. generally speaking like it scales really well yeah whether you're a first-time homeowner or you're a first-time business owner you need an asset you need something that you're putting your own money into in case the business doesn't work out you need something else to hang on to so i think generally speaking what what are you thinking in terms of i don't know those just looked like you had thoughts and i don't know
1: oh no no, i'm just i'm reacting to what you're saying Uh, again we're pretty excited to be here i think that like when we had reached out it was Partly because we saw that you, you know, were deeply ingrained in the restaurant industry and, you know, and listening to some of the kind of work you do, like it felt very much like the conversations we have with these restaurateurs and small business owners all the time around those challenges and having you kind of be a Sherpa in yeah. <laughs> the, kind of taking that out and guiding it through. Yeah, Just- man.
0: Well, hopefully we can get the word out here. That's what we're here to do today. But where does it make sense to start sharing your story? I mean, you're a relatively young guy, right? CEO of this company, right? (laughs) Yeah, it depends. (laughs) What were you doing before this?
1: So prior, I was pretty much career Uber. So I was an early employee Uber. I joined back in 2011 when it was like a 30-person company to launch Uber in uh, Boston, which was like, I think, our fourth market at the time and grew with the firm over the next six and a half, seven years. What was your title with Uber? Um, Started as community manager. Then I was basically senior marketing manager, um, then went down to D. For like 2016 to 2018, led a U.S. Uh, and Canada BD team, and then went into strategy and planning. So I wore a lot of hats over the the time there.
0: And how long were you with Uber? When did you wrap About up? Six
1: and it? a half years. I left um, in spring of 2018.
0: Okay, so not too long before starting Mainvest. Right. No, so- I,
1: I left pretty much with the purpose of starting Mainvest.
0: So when did Mainvest? I mean, what was going on internally with you where you're like, this needs to exist? There's an opportunity here. I mean, it
1: does tie a little bit and I guess a lot of it into the Uber story. The first kind of ideation, like really thinking about it was way back in like 2013, um, you know when was leading, uh, kind of this exploration for New England around can Uber work outside of metropolitan areas and like what does the supply demand liquidity look like? Does Uber work in like a Worcester, Massachusetts or Providence, Rhode Island as opposed to like you know a Greater Boston area where you have you know population and supply right. density much higher? And kind of exploring that, um, you know, going to like all the you know, again Massachusetts based all these like mill cities and. Um, looking at kind of the challenges around economic development in those cities. Right. You know, I was a poli sci major originally, so I couldn't like do that effectively without going down a bunch of economic development rabbit holes. And kind of in doing so, that was really the first time that I got like edified in, you know, for one, the role that small businesses play in local economic development. And it seems to be a very, very important role. And then looking at that time around, well, this massive gap and challenge around access to capital. In the small business space, and you were looking at like institutional lending, um, you know, traditional lending from, uh, like local banks and national banking institutions in the SMB space. It had dropped around 69%, um, pretty much overnight after the 2008 financial collapse, right? So you had like the number one asset that was being used to collateralize on this lending being, you know, home equity, um, and the highly levered position that institutional finance was in in kind of evaluating these. And, when that uh, asset became volatile basically SMB lending really dried up and beyond that it kind of led to this well you know institutional underwriting and kind of the way that they evaluate it is you know all right you need this capital to like start or expand your business if you're an existing business with two years of revenue history like we have kind of a model to underwrite that but we're still going to need to collateralize it to de-risk ourselves um for new businesses, like they didn't really know how to lend because of like it being such a risky endeavor. And so they didn't and kind of thinking through, well, you have these institutions that are basically the capital gap access for businesses required to grow local economic uh, environments and organizations. And their underwriting was missing kind of a key component, which is the actual underwriting of the market. And it kind of led to this idea of why, you know, can't Communities directly invest in the businesses under the thesis that, like, when you have the community voting with their wallets investing in these businesses, the community is saying that, like, I want this business here, I'm going to support this business. It provides that market validation on the front end, um, alongside that capital access. And then on the back end, the business is not just getting capital that they need to scale, grow, and build it out, but they also have a bunch of people in the community that are aligned incentive, that are invested with skin in the game, they want that business to succeed. And-
0: right. What, what's going through my mind, at listening to you talk and thinking about the people that live in these communities who want to put their money someplace that matters to them, there wasn't the, the framework that i'm aware for like if you were somebody an individual doing well and you had excess income and you wanted to invest it you're likely going to go to the stocks you know like that's because there's the framing that exists there's the path of least resistance to to put your money someplace and have a a fairly good bet right but would people put their money in other places if there was the framing that exists to make it easy well, that's the question of, I had. No, that was
1: a well-leading question into yeah. like kind of thinking about that back in 2013. I was like, "Why doesn't this exist? Like, why isn't this happening?" And then in kind of digging in further, edifying myself on you know federal securities regulations, it was like, "Wow, there's a really stringent um, kind of framework in place that's been around since the Securities Act in 1934 um, that limits the ability for businesses to go out and solicit at, like for investment, yeah. um, and rightly so in many cases right. in terms of like investor protections um, on one end, but also like it limited the type of person that could go and invest in these businesses. If you wanted to invest in a business at that point in time, um, for one, like you had to be like directly connected with right. the business. You had and to have it. somebody pitch and you. you. <laughs> and you had to have a million dollars in net um, net assets excluding your primary residence right. or two hundred fifty thousand like the accredited investor um, designation that was put in place back in nineteen thirty-four and basically limits to like six or seven percent, probably less at this point if <laughs> we're looking at the growing wealth gap of the US population. Being able to even participate in that. And that's kind of where where Mainvest really like became a potential thing was you fast forward back to, up to 2016. Um, and it was right at the point where the Jobs Act, um, which is a bipartisan uh, economic stimulus bill was on the floor of the House and the Senate. And one component of that was something called regulation crowdfunding and regulation crowdfunding was basically looking at that massive wealth gap, looking at the challenges more around the eye of um, looking at it in terms of like the Ubers and the Airbnbs that were going and raising these crazy rounds of private capital and being able to continue to do that and do like a DCF round. So by the time they go public, (laughs) you know, the majority of that potential upside has been limited to only that small subset of the population that has access to it. And so they wanted to create a framework to allow for investor protections to be in place for retail investors to be able to start participating in that. And I looked at that and I was like, well, that's, you know, Really, really cool. That's interesting. But these early stage tech companies, they have access to a flourishing ecosystem, as we just said, of venture capital, private equity. Small businesses don't. And in kind of looking at those regs, it kind of opened up like, holy crap, Like, can we retrofit these regulations to enable a community capital marketplace for small businesses? Is this the framework that suddenly unlocks that?
0: And specifically, what were the regulations that you were looking to rejigger?
1: So like we didn't rejigger Congress yeah. rejiggered okay. <laughs> back in 2016. Um but like the two core things that it changed was it created a regulatory framework to allow for private companies to go out and publicly solicit for investment if done through a regulated entity. So you're the Mainvest. private
0: company or is it the restaurant the, that's The private. restaurants are the private okay. company. Okay.
1: Right. So this is all the things that made Mainvest possible and like why you didn't see like a community investment marketplace prior to that. Right. Um, You know, there were regulations in place that kind of prevented that from happening. And like the reason that those regulations changed, this wasn't even kind of the impetus for it. But when they changed, it was more of looking at that and saying, this is what allows us to create a way of like protecting investors, allowing them to make educated decisions but allowing communities to be able to directly, you know, not like me donate, but directly invest and share in the success of businesses in their community and create this kind of closed loop capital circuit of localized economic development. So
0: it's not like it is crowdfunding in the sense that you're providing access to a crowd of people. Right. But it's not crowdfunding in the sense that this isn't like a transaction where you're making a donation. You're literally investing in that organization. Exactly.
1: And I think that's one of the core, I think, challenges for us. It was when we first started was the because it's called regulation crowdfunding, it Comes with all of the stigma of like donation based crowdfunding. And when you're a for profit small business, like looking to grow and generate revenue, like putting your hand out for a donation doesn't necessarily make sense. Like,
0: I kind of hate the idea of nonprofits. I'm not going to lie. Like, you, you need to be able
1: to like, <laughs> hear me out. Are you a nonprofit? Uh, no, we're not a nonprofit. I was going to say
0: Well, hear me out. It's because I don't. Why do you have to be labeled a nonprofit and get that, like, that go through like the legal structuring of a nonprofit to be a for good business? You know what I'm saying? Why not Absolutely. just call it capture, or cautious cap, well, conscious capitalism? You know, like, why can't we just... Why can't it just be good to do good business and have that be a staple of doing business?
1: I mean, I think that that's definitely one of the challenges around of uh, how people are currently, like, thinking about, like, you talk about, like, corporations. And this idea of, like, you can't do both is ridiculous to yeah. me. And that's where, in like, the idea of... Starting a mission focused company that's still a company and that's designed to drive economic growth for all the people working here, as well as for the businesses that we support, Um, like being able to be viable in the sense of having long term ability to profit and have a sustainable business model is in a way like what allows something like that to exist.
0: Yes. Uh, I mean, the mission statement here at Restaurant Unstoppable is to inspire, empower and transform the industry. And the reason we want to transform the industry is to transform the world. I should probably start changing my mission statement if I'm, if I'm listening to Simon Sinek by saying we're, we're here to transform the world through inspiring and empowering the restaurant industry. And that that's one of the big reasons why I wanted to talk to you. And I think one of the reasons and how we're going to transform the world is by changing values and not making business about winning or losing, but about doing good. And you know, like what is your social impact and how do we, label social status by measuring the level of social impact people have you know
1: the idea of like how do you define value i think is really the core of it and when you talk about like whatever stage of capitalism we're in versus the core construct of is capitalism viable (laughs) as like a market uh driver i think there's more so than i think i've ever experienced in my life like a lot of really fervent debate in our nation around some of those challenges. And it really does come down to the definition of value in my mind and value needs to be compensated. But like when we think about traditional like value in terms of shareholder value, that doesn't ROI, that, that ROI value um, as, like, a single-line input. You know, to, 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 like think about, like, GDP as the single way we're measuring, like, economic success and growth of our country. It doesn't align with, like, happiness index, you know, mortality rates for birth. Like, that's to like, take this crazily out of just the context of, you know, let's fund some small businesses and right. have them succeed. Um, but in, like, weighing value, um, I think in order to, for us to be, be able to successfully grow and develop as a nation, and kind of maintain, like, the amazing... Like history and parts of it that like have like led America to, um, you know, kind of really change away and like be a bastion of democracy, a bastion of equality for like uh, many years. In the attempts to do that, you have to every once in a while look at like how are we actually measuring this stuff? And value needs to be looked at as like when a small business is able to provide food to a community, like a local, um, like natural grocery store is like filling in like a food bank area. That value is not like, you know, I guess like filling in a food desert was what I was trying to say. There's value there, you know, beyond the ones and zeros of their balance sheet and income statement, because there's direct value to the community in terms of access. It allows like a greater level of growth in that community. It creates level of equality. And those things are really core to what we're doing in our mission. Um, And we do believe that you can do that. And that value can grow and also provide profitability to the entrepreneur and small business owner that's doing this and allow them to grow and live a very successful life and share that with the community.
0: Got it. So dialing back, bring it to center line, 2015, these new uh, regulations came out. Um, when did you start thinking to yourself, "There's a hole. There's an opportunity. There's an opportunity to to make things better." When did when did you start putting the ball into motion?
1: I think almost immediately upon those regs coming out, when I saw them, like started like looking at like Where, what
0: were you doing with with uber at this point were you still community management or had you kind of no
1: I, so i was down in dc and okay. i wish i could say that like i was like sitting at a bar with some like securities lawyers and i overheard everything it. great starts <laughs> in a bar but uh no, they were, like america i think the me being in dc wasn't actually a direct like I, there wasn't like some direct magical tie to those regulations coming out at the time when i was there um but uh I was leading uh our uber business development team and we were focused on uh, like event operations and partnerships it was, it was very like exciting stuff but, like, seeing those regulations is just, like, started to like eat and spin in the back of my mind of, like, you know, this kind of concept around community capital and, you know, solving capital access gaps for small businesses, driving local economic development. Is this the thing? Like, does this suddenly – like, is this the unlock? Does it allow you to do something like that? And. You know, over the next couple of years, just got like more and more into it until around 2018 when I was like ready to go and I was like, you know what, I'm going to do this. We got to do this and left Uber to start building this thing.
0: So in 2018, what was the vision of this, this thing that you you have echoing in your, your head?
1: Honestly, I'm proud to say this pretty, pretty close to where we're at right now. Um, it was funny. Like we just went through an exercise with the team where we dug back into this 2018 vision. That's deck why we wrote them down, with, right? To keep right? us
0: honest later to on. To keep us honest. And
1: yeah. it was really about like, can we build out a framework that aligns incentives with communities and the small businesses there to be able to unlock capital and drive local capital? Local
0: capital, local. Local
1: capital, local businesses, local returns from that capital in staying in the community and what does that snowball into in terms of accelerating local economic development now i think the one thing in that wasn't in that vision deck was uh a pandemic right. uh, but nobody
0: had that in there i'd be very <laughs>
1: impressed if someone did i didn't yeah. see rea- like uh, i think it was like wimbledon back in like 2013 had the foresight to actually get pandemic insurance oh really? and they were paying like two million a year for it over the next eight years. And it like paid out like 114 million wow. quid. Um, and I was like, wow, they, so that was some was their yeah, yeah. risk management. there. Yeah. like, I've, that was impressive, awesome. but no, most people know.
0: Oh man. So I think now's a good time to take a break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back to talk about, you know, what happened thereafter. Once the vision was shared, what, how did you make this into reality? Recently on the show, you've been hearing it come up often restaurant systems pro. If you've become interested, I highly recommend you sign up for the restaurant system pro 60 day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60 day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant Systems Pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. Recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting <laughs> with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts and seats, and that's not it. Often, the team at Restaurant Systems Pro helps restaurateurs out pro bono because their hearts go out to these folks. I mean, it's hard out there, but because of that, a lot of the time, these restaurateurs don't follow through because they have no skin in the game. For that reason... There is an application process. Only those serious about making change in their operation will be accepted into this program. Are you interested? Then go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash R-S-P. That's R-S-P for Restaurant Systems Pro. Restaurantunstoppable.com slash R-S-P. We're back. Um, So let's talk about the past what now? Five years, really from 2018 to current. What, what has the evolution? What were your, what were your challenges? Like, how did you overcome those challenges? For sure. I think
1: the initial, the, the biggest like first challenge was the education piece around something like this is super unique. Educating who? Educating the business owners. Okay. Um, and when you're a small business owner and you know, you're back in 2018, you're thinking about like, how am I going to fund this business? Um, there was a, for, there's a reason fin- to call it institutional yeah. capital. It was a yeah. pretty finite amount of options in terms of how to do that. Um, and alongside, when we like started talking to businesses, you know, Rachel being you mentioned that Rachel was Rachel um, Miller, Rachel uh, Miller from, of Nightshade, Nightshade. Yep. Um, and she also did a raise for Sin City Superette, which is the convenience. Yep. There's just both of her businesses. She worked with us to help. Um, and how on, awesome
0: is it with it's that uh, with a local Salem? I think they're Salem, Lynn, right? Lynn just Lynn. north, right. So, so it's sorry. All right <laughs> around here within 30 miles. Uh, but that's awesome. So what, what was it specifically? So the challenge was communicating what you were to business owners. But what, where was the disconnect? Why were they I mean, having trouble understanding?
1: So I, I think that there's this sense of the handcuffs around crowdfunding, right? When you're telling them about like, hey, like you can like – Run an investment came for, campaign for this, and they're like, "Well, like crowdfunding, like what's like that doesn't make sense for us." You know, we don't want to be going out and asking for a handout. And they are like, "No, like this is actually just a way to like better align, you so know, your principles." They hear community. crowdsourcing, they automatically uh, ex- assume exact. crowdfunding. So there's a there was a bit of a handcuff there in terms of education, and then in terms of you know the regulatory framework that unlocked it when we first started, it's like that whole like, well, why haven't I heard of this? Right. Yeah. With any like brand new thing, uh, like, well, why, why haven't I heard of this? Why doesn't think this exist? And, you know, if you're in your first conversation with like a brewery and we have no businesses that have ever launched cause we haven't like launched the product yet. And we're talking to businesses about, you know, Hey, be like our first cohort. We're going to go and try this. We think it's going to be fantastic. Um, like there's just, there was a lot to kind of Explain like, like to dive into, you know, well, let's talk about the regulations if you're interested. You have like a 680 page of, um, you know, commented Congress file that like digs into all of these. It, it was a lot, I think, in, you know, what do you actually boil it down to? Because we wanted to make sure that people actually understood it. And that kind of our learning of, like, what is actually important to understand and making sure that a business goes and launches on the platform is fully equipped for this entire journey of going out, raising capital from their community. When it works, it's amazing. But, like, that feeling of self-doubt was, like, another big challenge, I think, on the business side is, like, well, do people even really want to – invest in me? What if people don't want to invest in me?
0: Right. You go through all these motions yeah. and then it's crickets. Right. Right. And well, what about finding the actual crowd? Because I'm assuming you need an audience of people on Mainvest, right? To... See, like, how do you get access to those people?
1: So as we've continued to grow, like, people that are, like, investor-based, like, MainVest does have an investor base, and that investor base is primarily built of people that have invested in previous businesses on the platform. So in a way, like, for any marketplace, there's what you call, like, a cold start challenge in that balance of supply and, like, demand liquidity. You know, the cold start challenge early on was we didn't have anyone on either side of the marketplace. And if you think about, like, a chicken or the egg, like, you can't have a bunch of investors without anything to invest in. It starts with the businesses, and so as we've grown and built that community, the reason that people come back and like change from a you know Nightshade Noodle Bar investor into a main investor is because they see it work, and because you know there's other businesses that then come on that are in the community and like they come back to the platform, they see that that creates a cycle. But for the businesses themselves, in terms of that crowd, it is a hybrid, and like a big part of our job beyond just like Doing the working with the businesses around the regulatory compliance of launching an investment campaign is about equipping them, empowering them with all the tools and tactics to go out and go out to their community and raise capital and clearly explain to them like, this is what we're doing, this is our pitch, this is our mission, this is how we think we're going to do it, this is why we believe that with your support and help, like not just us, but you are going to be able to share in this success.
0: Yeah. I want to get dive into what that process looks like. If I'm like, if I'm yeah. listening to this and I'm like, I'm interested in, in checking out mainvest. I want, maybe I can find some uh, investors in my community or is it limited to your community or could, could so you, it's,
1: it's not limited, but it definitely 100% of the time 80, starts, starts with your community. Yeah, 80% um, of your
0: revenue comes from the, the 20%. Yeah, that's probably the, most close. Ours
1: ends up being like uh, 60, 40 Okay. Um, I think blended across. So 60% it from, of, from the community, the, 40% from more like continued investment. Got it, Got but, it. But, you know, we do, as part of our underwriting, that underwriting is a level of social and community underwriting. So when we launch a business on the platform, we don't unlock and like start sharing that with people in like the main reinvestment network until that business secures a certain amount of capital from people in their network and people in their neighborhood. And in a way like that's what we call like momentum. a momentum. It's a community underwriting process, right? Like if you have people in your community that believe in you to a certain threshold that are, they're voting with their wallets and that first to like put money in and invest that yeah. then unlocks the, really the entirety of the model where that allows for like other people to see like, Oh, there are people that believe in this business like that to me, de-risks my potential investment in a business like that.
0: Yeah. This comes up a lot just on the, the conversation of raising funds generally when you're going out to raise capital, like if you can say you're looking to raise a million dollars, if you can find a bank to write your loan for 250, then that gets a lot of other investors off the couch. So like it's seeing that initial investment that gets other people. Well, somebody did their homework to put 250000 right. in, I'm going to roll my dice now.
1: Absolutely. And I think right. we do that on a macro or a micro level. And in a way, it's kind of unique. And we look at um, you know businesses that are coming to – like a new business that's starting up. And they have a total capital need of $500,000. Like they go to a bank and the bank's like, we, we just Double can't it. underwrite it's a this million. entire thing. That's right? another lesson. <laughs> and what's been interesting is – Again, as we kind of circling back to the start of the conversation around traditional capital and like the traditional lending market and so the challenges they face in not having market underwriting as part of their underwriting model, um, when a business is able to go out and get that skin in the game from the community, that can unlock the ability to get bank capital in a way that they weren't able to before and that's one of the major use cases for like larger capital raises on mainvest. like a business that needs $500,000 um, and a bank is like maybe I could do like three hundred, but if you had $200,000 of bulletin skin in the game being able to do that raise then unlocks the rest of the capital for the ah, startup guys nice
0: so there's So it's not people who are going through main vests aren't entirely using just main vests. They're going to to show that there's a market. What do you call it? Market underlying market underwriting market underwriting that shows proof of concept or at least a desire for this, this, this product that you're looking to create and then the banks get in the pool after.
1: Yeah, that happens with maybe like twenty, thirty percent of wow. the business on the platform. Interesting.
0: So before we really start to unpackage what Mainvest is today, you said that the vision for mainvest then isn't exactly what it is today. So what changed? What's different about your vision then that is is accurate today?
1: So I think like a lot of the challenges of the pandemic a lot of the challenges of the pandemic had like changed. Um, You know, we just had to operate in a very different way. You know, the initial vision was we're going to be building out basically on a market-to-market basis, these hyper-local marketplaces and be building supply like New England, Massachusetts being our first market. Um, When the pandemic hit, everything went digital. And, you know, beyond the fact that We had launched a brick-and-mortar investment platform into a pandemic where the number one affected asset class was brick-and-mortar business-to-consumer businesses. Um, You know, there were two kind of things that we had to really, like, navigate through there. One was, you know, when you lose the actual on-the-ground aspect, there are an immense amount of challenges. Like, when businesses can't be going out and, like, you know, actually talking to people in their community about, like, what they're doing, it becomes more challenging for them to raise capital. When there's a – fair enough stigma around, well, you know, there's a government shutdown right now. Like, you don't even know when you're going to be able to operate. That's a challenge um, in that immediacy. But for us, that kind of naturally led for over the course of the pandemic with that digital, um, you know, the brick and mortar roots became like a little less so. The market expansion from us having launched businesses in two states prior to March of 2020, post-20... the next two years, we launched businesses in 46 states. Wow! Um, and a lot of that was just from the natural inbound of businesses that were navigating and becoming edified to a product like this during the pandemic.
0: Yeah. It was actually almost a blessing because people had time to slow down and see what's out there.
1: there yeah. There were some. Bl- the other challenge that came with that was we had to make a decision around, are we an investment platform or a relief platform? And when we looked at the breadth of, you know, having 10 to 100 X increase in, you know, monthly businesses coming in interested for one, the sorting process there became incredibly challenging, but for two, like, you know, there were businesses that you'd have a conversation with and they're like, we need $30,000 to keep the lights on for the next month. And it's like, well, the risk of with that $30,000, you being able to make it out of this, like this might be able to help, but is this an investment opportunity? And that was I think kind of, one of the most challenging parts, um, you know, in terms of our resourcing and making that decision because, you know, I I guess adversely to what we were talking about earlier, like during the pandemic, the idea of donating to businesses that you love in your community, to keep them alive, I think held the most validity and strength. Um, But when you have something that's like an investment and you're kind of saying like, not promissorily, but like my plan here is to return you this amount of capital plus like your initial return for you supporting us, um, when there's that kind of uncertainty in a pandemic, you know we we have we, down. it slows Bob things down. Things. We yeah. have to be super careful
0: about you know how we thought about it. Well, I'm curious about this. I think it's something that gets a lot of people in trouble is they they think that the starting point is a brick and mortar today. And right. I think that that was true for the most part, but because of I think Maybest is a perfect example of the the new tools and resources and ecosystems through which we have at our disposal to to grow. Um, you don't have to go for a brick and mortar today. You can try to get funding for, you know, a ghost kitchen, which is still a a very real business, right? That you need assets for like a space to, you can go raise money to get started and a, a start can be a ghost kitchen, right? So don't, I don't know. Like why not? I mean, have you had people come to you for funding to start a ghost kitchen?
1: We have. And you know, we tend to stray away from that. Okay. Why is that? Because I think in terms of the, mission and like what we're doing um, and like the types of businesses that we work with, there is this big community component and a ghost kitchen kind of inherently is the opposite of that in many ways where not to say it's not a viable business opportunity, right? um, but it's not something that like people in the community are able to go to and serve and act as like a third space for like social engagement. I hear that. Um, And so that that's, you know, for things that are like strictly digital and things like ghost kitchens that, you know, the people that like people are going to be ordering through a bunch of like third party apps and you know they could change their right. brand and operate five or six little sub brands under it yeah. and just figure out what works i think there's a lot of like there's no fault in that kind of entrepreneurship but It doesn't have the same impact in our minds of like driving that local economic growth and truly aligning the incentives. I understand that.
0: I still see ghost kitchens as a good stepping stone towards a brick and mortar. Like, what's stopping you from opening and doing takeout only or delivery only to get your food out there and then show that you have proof of concept and then use that that traction to get. Maybe I should caveat
1: because, like, when I think about a business that's doing operations through a commissary kitchen or like doing food truck operations starting with the commissary, I I do have I view that differently than a ghost. Kitchen. That's kind of. I mean, it's
0: it, it gets a little wishy washy right? with all the titles. Like, I, and names I think the and ghost
1: kitchen, uh, you know, the cloud kitchen, ghost kitchen model, um, is mostly utilized for you know being able to try and test a bunch of different brands, have a distribution network, um, yes, and it's a little different than someone that's like, I have this concept, like I'm going to start here. I guess that's what I think about the difference. Yeah. So for Commissary Kitchen, for a business that's raising for um, like food truck or, you know, not strict brick and mortar yet, but prior to that phase, we will absolutely work with them. The specific uh, ghost kitchen model of like, I want to retrofit this space. I'm going to like pop out a bunch of franchise ideas and, you know, see what picks up on the apps fastest.
0: So how many people have used Mainfest Fest today? Uh, we've had around like
1: 700 businesses.
0: Was there a tipping point for you?
1: I mean, coming out of the pandemic was definitely, like, obviously, yeah, went- uh, part of a tipping point. But I, for us, it's by category. I think we see that as we have enough, uh, we hit like a critical mass of successes in a certain geographic region, like Massachusetts, or in a certain category, like breweries, bakeries. Um,
0: word starts to spread. The word
1: starts to spread, and the, you know, Volume of use cases and like success cases we have when talking to businesses that are coming in, like we're just like, hey, like you can talk to you know one of these fifty people, um, and we're not going to say which one. You can pick one, and we'll introduce you to them because we know that they're going to have a positive, you know, like explanation of their experience with Mainvest. And I think that's one of the most powerful things we have in terms of our. Um, like success, and I guess referral network is you word know, of mouth is still king. Word of mouth is king, and the businesses that have raised on the platform are like NPS score, as it were. You know, is like I think like ninety eight percent. It's it's the higher that I've seen anywhere else. Wait, will,
0: explain that one more time.
1: Like when a business goes through the process, like we've talked to them after, like it it works. And I think the biggest challenge for us is around that, that initial education still of how it works. And, you know, believe that it works because once you go through that process and you have a bunch of people in the community that have, you know, voted with their wallets, you have that capital and you get to work, you open your doors. You see that tangentially of people that invested are like filling your like butts and seats on kind of day one and like that kind of support. Like it's not just the capital. It's that long term. It acts as a form of customer loyalty. Right. And. You know, th- those tipping points that we see when we have – like it really is by category because, you know, we talk to a natural grocery store and they're like, well, I haven't seen a natural grocery store work. Like I get that it works for this. I get that it works for that. So – uh as we you know continue to have these success cases, that's where the snowball really like comes into play. So for when us.
0: you said the percentage ninety eight, was that how many people who come into your program to mm-hmm. raise the capital ninety eight percent of them get the funding they're looking for?
1: No, it's like um, last it's around like eighty five percent I think last six months, which is still pretty um, good. It's very good. Yeah. Uh, we're very proud of that. And uh, but you know it's also it's a situation where like if you look at that other fifteen percent, it's not like those are businesses that got like 80% of the way there. It's very binary. So like either they they, Uh, they, sign up, they they, they
0: don't do the work. Exactly. Yeah. And,
1: you know, we're trying to be very intent with that because, you know, the way our compensation is structured is absolutely aligned with like our mission of, you know, this kind of aligned interest. Like we don't have any upfront fees for using the service. The only time that Mainvest takes our revenue is when a business has successfully closed their offering. So we're super designed to like work with these businesses to align incentives and make sure that like it's going to be a successful raise before we launch it uh because it is a lot of work on both sides yeah and have to get it right
0: and that's what i want to unpackage next but we're going to take one more quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back to talk about the process from start to finish what that looks like Restaurant Unstoppable Network is back, baby, and we're better than ever before. We already have six live events in the works, and we're just getting started. If you sign up for Restaurant Unstoppable Network right now, you can be a part of these six live events. We have Casey Anton, the author of Profit First for Restaurants, talking about profit first. We have Christine Miles, the author of What Is It Costing You Not to Listen, and It's Costing You a Lot. Tom Sterner, the author of the practicing mind, fully engaged, and it's just a thought to help you get into that right that right mindset and to will your future into existence. We have Kathleen Wood, the woman behind one thing, who's helped so many of our past guests focus and channel their energy to doing one thing really well. We have Mike Payton, the former chief visionary officer, or whatever title you want to call it, but he was the guy behind. The entrepreneurial operating system, EOS, uh, the, the, the traction library of books. We're going to get him in the network to talk about EOS. And we have Dave Nitzel and Dave Domzalski, co authors of The Bar Shift and Hospitality DNA, to talk about their findings in their most recent book, Hospitality DNA. We have a great lineup coming your way. And all you have to do is head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash whatever the episode number is. You'll find a link and a banner for RU Network. Click the link get a 30-day no-strings-attached trial, and the first 50 people to sign up will get a free Restaurant Unstoppable t-shirt. And if you opt in to the annual plan, I'll throw in a Restaurant Unstoppable hat and a mug, but you got to act fast because these are going to go real quick, I have a feeling. And thank you for your support. Restaurant Unstoppable is partnering with CORE, children of restaurant employees. CORE. Children of Restaurant Employees invites you to learn more about their mission and their fall campaign, Serving Up Hope. Core is an industry-focused nonprofit that provides financial grants to restaurant employees with children who face a life-altering medical crisis or natural disaster. Serving Up Hope is a national fundraising campaign and an opportunity for the restaurant industry to come together to serve those who will serve us daily. There is complete flexibility for when and how you raise money and Core has ideas to help. Whether you choose to make a flat donation or fundraise through in-store promotions core provides turnkey resources to make your partnership as simple and successful as possible. It does not stop there. Brands who commit to raising $15,000 or more for core during this campaign, receive logo recognition on the wall of hope, a nationally promoted landing page that highlights the companies that have chosen to come together for our industry. Choose to participate in. You will help build a culture of caring and demonstrate your support. Support for employees and those that qualify for a grant across the country. More than 70% of core grantees are single mothers and they critically need your help to continue to provide funds. So why wait? Showcase your commitment and leadership to help employees in our industry and sign up for the Serving Up Hope campaign today. Visit coregives.org to learn more. Together, we can serve up hope for restaurant families this fall. We're back. Now, I just want to know, pretend I'm a restaurant who is hearing about Mainvest for the first time in this podcast, and or I'm a, a, a dreaming restaurateur, right? And I think I have a community I need to to get the funding to, to to approach Mainvest. What's the first step?
1: I mean, first step is when you hop onto the website, you basically...
0: You have an affiliate program, right? We do have an affiliate program. I'm going to be signing up for that. I,
1: I, <laughs> um, the first step is like if you've heard about us is usually... Already there where like you've heard about us from another business, 90% of like businesses that come in are organic referrals from maybe not directly from a business, but they've seen another business in their community, seen it work for them. They come to us. You create um, like an application on the site. It takes around like a minute to do so. You know, we approve or deny that application based on whether it's a fit. But if you're a small business restaurateur, um, like in kind of the category that approval process is really designed around um, just the time saving of we have a lot of businesses that come in and apply that simply like aren't a fit like tech companies coming yeah. in like to like utilize these that regulations any, they, they look yeah. at our fees and they're like well these are like great fees yeah they because they're designed for like brick and mortar small business owners like we don't want to charge upfront fees so
0: <laughs> number 1 go to mainvest.com Number two, find the application to will yep. be approved into the program. Yeah,
1: and hopefully it's easy to find. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and what, uh, once then it, it's really an initial conversation. Like we'll sit down with you and learn about the challenges of your business, what you're trying to do, and work with you to kind of get everything set up. And what that means is let's get um, your business plan and pitch and everything built out um, so that when you do launch the campaign, you have like literally the online domain that people are going to see so that people can properly evaluate the investment decision and whether they want to invest in it. So it's phase one is what we call like onboarding, which is basically just building out everything and working with us so that we can, you know, after
0: you've approved them. Yeah. What are the green lights you're looking for, for approval?
1: So, um, you know, a business plan is important. Uh, the, you know, when we look at, like, a business's pro forma projections, for example, that's one of the things that kind of fields through whether or not – which is, like, their future – like, what would they expect to do in their next two years of revenue? Got it. Um, when – I use this as my most common example. When a uh, natural grocery store comes in and, you know, we're looking at it like, oh, like, this branding looks great. And, you know, these guys, like, seem very passionate. And then we look and they're projecting to make a 60% profit margin – like in their five years of operations and broken, like the national average for a natural grocery store is around like four point five five percent. percent Like that's like a standard plus away from the mean. Right. It's like factorially different. Like there's a flag there that like these people might not like necessarily understand like what they're trying right. to so do. Right. So
0: you're looking for due diligence in a business plan that, yeah. A good it, brand.
1: And like, when I say good brand, like I, I don't want that to be a deterrent, um, but like the idea of, you know, we want to, it, it's a business that is Business to consumer, most like we can talk specifically for restaurants. I guess here, like for a restaurant, yeah, like a business plan, uh, an actual plan for like what you're going to do. Why do you need the capital? I mean, I'd, I'd say that's the easiest uh, way yeah. to think about it. You know, if you are looking to expand as an existing restaurant to a second location, you know, you don't have to necessarily have that location in mind, but have an understanding of like what you're looking for in that location. Right. right. Um, if you're a new business that is, you know, like a new restaurant. Like, do you know what city you want to be in? Do you have an understanding of, like, what your actual total startup costs are? Um, Is the team in place? And none of those things are necessarily deal breakers because it's very dependent on, like, the scale and the businesses, like, where the business is at in the process. Um, And we talk to many businesses that aren't there and then six months later are there and then launch them. Uh, But it's really for us about, you know, holistically do all these pieces fit and like does the business have a plan we can't launch and we're not going to launch a security on the platform that doesn't have a
0: plan got it so you decide they have a plan it looks like a good plan they've done their due diligence you like the brand you welcome them into the the program the onboarding process starts absolutely um before we unpackage the onboarding process what's the next process
1: after the onboarding yeah fundraising
0: okay and what's is there a process after that
1: Repayments and investor relations.
0: <laughs> all right. I'm going to make sure we get it all out so I know not to waste time talking deep about one thing. Uh, so repayments and then uh, investor relation. What would you say?
1: Yeah. Like it's once you have the capital, the next step is running your business. So that last process is basically like the next five to seven years of your life cycle and our relationship with you through that, uh, which is designed to be as you know supportive as possible.
0: So the life cycle is, you know, signing up, getting approved, onboarding, fundraising, repayment, investor relations.
1: Yeah, and repayment and investor relations are kind of like all at the same time. Got it.
0: So uh, let's talk to, about the onboarding process. What's this yeah. look like?
1: So like we're collecting again, like your pro forma financials. Um, we're working with you to build out the structuring of the terms. Like, what are you going to actually offer people? And that's something that we definitely do help with in terms of like understanding the mechanisms of how you know uh, investment security works. Like for you know, Mainvest, we predominantly use something called the revenue sharing note that we built up bespokely for this, where you're paying back your community and your investors as a percentage of your gross revenue quarterly up until a total amount of principal plus return is hit. So basically you're setting a cap, like I'm going to pay back $150,000 off of $100,000 raised over the next five years. Every quarter I'm sharing a percentage of my revenue until it hits that $150,000 is an example of how it works.
0: Is that standard? That's
1: very standard. And we built it out like that because we wanted to build a security that was actually designed to align incentives, where you're setting up your plan around this is what I think I'm going to be able to do with your support. Um, you know, every quarter there's a bunch of seasonality. There's challenges with businesses. If you generate a little bit less revenue in that quarter, you don't want to be stuck paying the same principal plus interest fixed payment from a term loan. So these
0: people aren't investing in equity. They're investing no. in profit share.
1: They're investing in until share. they
0: get their ROI
1: until they get their ROI. Got and it. so the way to think about it, you know, over the course of the history of the platform, been averaging like a 12.5% like cash on cash return annualized, which we feel very proud of as a thesis proof of the concept, especially with, uh, portfolio of businesses, 85% food, bev, and hospitality with two years of their life cycle pandemic. Yeah. Um,
0: so you, you shared, it sounded like you shared the, the most common model in terms of re, the repayment model you coach people through. Yeah. And as far as how to set that up, is exactly. there anything that we missed um, for
1: like the onboarding
0: portion? Well, yeah. What happens after you get the repayment plan modeled?
1: So like, we work with them to, take you know their story projections um, business plan and kind of put that into like a consumable format so that when they send it out to their community their community can actually understand it and see what they're investing so, in
0: so you help them create the assets they yeah. need to promote the campaign yeah and does that live anywhere do you help with pushing this out or do you what's that look like
1: so once we have everything ready they review it all we work with them we file it with the SEC and that actually unlocks their ability to go out and raise capital, and the campaign launches for their community. They have a link; Anyone they share it with, can go to and evaluate the investment opportunity, understand the risks, the rewards, the potential returns, and make a decision to invest in that.
0: So the link goes back to Mainvest, where you're hosting basically. Exactly. We're the hosting pitch, all these pitches, the information. Uh, we're hosting
1: their like um, regulatory disclosures, their you know financial information, uh, their plan basically, so that. When they send it to their community, their community can actually evaluate it and make an educated decision on whether they want to support it or not.
0: Can you go into detail about what helping them with creating the pitch looks like? How involved do you get in branding and packaging this pitch? So
1: we definitely don't get too involved in the actual creation of assets. It's more of we work with them to take their assets and put it into the format that makes sense. We work with them around like making sure that the story that they're saying makes sense and aligns with their actual plan.
0: So you coach them on the content to make that will help resonate with the investor. Right. Right. But like we're not building business plans. We're not out there with plans. cameras. No. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Uh, okay. On t- in terms of the onboarding. So you have the repayment plan model. You help coach through creating the assets and you host all of the information. You, right. I mean, you, you create the marketplace essentially.
1: We basically take everything for them to be hosted on the marketplace and to have that done in a regulatory compliant way. Put that together for them and file that with the SEC so that when someone is looking at it, they're able to evaluate the opportunity. It. Once it's filed, we launch that campaign for their community. So then they go out to their community. That's what I talked to earlier. You know, we work with them in terms of you know the best you know, uh, you know marketing content, like how to actually position it. Um, you know, commonly asked questions, how to think about like the different avenues of people that you can reach out to and get the word out to get the word out.
0: So this, I feel like we're starting to spill over into the actual fundraising aspect of things. So the fundraising, you kind of provide a framework of best practices and coaching, it sounds like. Correct. Anything more than that?
1: So once the business um, hits that, like the social underwriting, that's when the things that Mainvest can do, like unlock beyond just like the coaching and support. And so once a business hits that, you know, we're a regular entity. We're not recommending or suggesting any individual securities over any others. So we have an objective list of criteria per the regulations that we have for any business on the platform. As they achieve those milestones, it unlocks different things like um, a co-branded press release, uh, like a direct email to the investor. Base. So that is
0: a little uh, crowdsource-esque where there's like – like there's milestones and like uh, almost like – um. So when you're doing, like, GoFundMe, like, you have to think about what – beyond the ROI, right. what are the other assets we can – like, the recognition that we can offer? And it, right. we we release – is it, like – like, how does that – how do you structure that? Like, the actual, like, the tiers?
1: So they're really based around, like, percentage of capital towards goal. And there's a collection of different objective criteria that every business, as they hit those, it'll unlock – Um, you know, our ability to roll that into our marketing. And we have to do that very intentionally. You know, we can't give a business special treatment just because we like them. We can't push a security like we're we're an intermediary. You know, we're heavily regulated, rightly so, by FINRA and the SEC. Our job here is to provide as much support as possible in an equal sense to businesses on the platform. And the way that we're able to feel comfortable, you know, pushing out offerings to our growing investor base is objective and based on different milestones that those businesses are able right. to achieve.
0: Now I know the money that people are asking for varies case by case, um, but typically, how long from campaign launch to raising capital does the the average campaign last? Like
1: forty five to sixty days. Wow. Um, the average raise is around one hundred and forty thousand. There's definitely barbells. Like we launch a ton. It's like a barbell distribution, not a. Uh, Bell distribution. Got it. Um, you know, we launch a lot of businesses in like the 30 to, you know, 75 kind of range. 30 is our minimum just because of, like I said, that kind of because our revenue is tied to the success of a campaign. We we do take a lot of risk up front when we're launching a business. Um, and so want to make sure that, you know, the economics do need to make sense for us as well because we are a for-profit business. Um, and then we've had businesses raise you know, up to like 1.235, which is a specific regulatory number, million um, on the platform, the average, that it kind of averages out to
0: 140. And
1: it also is kind of by type of business, right? Like for restaurants, I think it's around 100 is the average. 100 uh, people ask for 100,000?
0: Like are looking for 100,000. Okay. Um, so they're not looking to open with that, but they're looking to get over a hurdle with it or something?
1: Yeah, it, it's – or they have you know they, – they're putting a portion of their skin in the game. Um, They've raised a
0: big – Portion they're looking for a little bit much to get a little yeah, more, or I mean, maybe even this is just it, a good way to draw attention to your, your brand too. And that,
1: that is that is the big yeah like other aspect that we haven't even talked about. You know yeah. the if you think about the value of May invest to a business, and I think why we have that ninety eight percent like MPS score of businesses being happy after going through this process, um, and you know thirty percent of businesses we've launched since the beginning have already come back for second or third launches and make this their like sole way that they're going to access capital in the future is because it's not just working capital up front. It's not just community low on the side. It's this combination of like awareness, buy-in impact in a community that like cycles and businesses that raise on main invest, you know, our default rate is four times lower than SBA back lending during the same period of time during the pandemic. Our business closure rate is one tenth the national average. Wow. These are businesses that go out and they're getting that community, like that support of the community. That like, that was the core thesis. And I said the silver lining of the pandemic for us was it was a pressure test far and wide of that thesis they coming out the other side and looking at these success cases, you can talk about Rachel, you can talk about the Fox, then, um, you know, there's over a hundred others in Massachusetts alone that we've worked with over the last couple of years that have allowed us to feel like, you know, despite all these challenges, like this is working, this makes sense. And every single business we get to talk to and work with is kind of expanding on that and building on that network of successful entrepreneurs. Got it.
0: So, um, we talked about onboarding. We talked about the fundraising. Any other elements from fundraising before we wrap up with repayment and investor relations?
1: Um, no, I mean like again, the average fundraising is like forty-five to sixty days. At like, for if you're raising like thirty to seventy-five, like that's a thirty-day raise. Uh, so it, it does kind of come into these cohorts. I um, don't want to be too prescriptive on it, uh, but once you successfully raise, that goes into the repayments. And, you know, you're taking, you know, this support and capital from a bunch of people in your community, a bunch of potential main investors as well. You know, businesses are raising, they have maybe hundred to 500 people that have invested in this, depending on how much capital they're raising. We play a big role there. Like that doesn't work if I, right, okay, cool. Now, every three months I'm writing 150 checks and I have to distribute them. Like that's a lot of work. So we work with businesses around that repayments process. So
0: what's people. that look like? How, how do you work? What do you mean by you work? So with
1: every quarter, once you close business reports to us their gross revenue. And we pr- pro rata distribute for them that percentage of revenue through the ACH rails into all the investors. So we handle repayments and the actual process for that for the businesses. Um, the platform also acts as an investor relations platform. So they're able to have that all of like the information, um, emails and everything of all the people that invested and they can use them as like an update channel and tell them like this is what we're doing, you know. We're excited to be expanding to, like, this location or we're going to be launching, like, this, like, Thursday night, uh, poke, like, Poke Bowl thing. <laughs> Just a brand of examples. Um, that base of investors, they have the ability to use them as a marketing channel and the investors are incentivized to yeah. be sharing and evangelizing for right. the businesses. right. Um, you know, they can also, and like, we totally encourage this. It's like, we're not gating that's the platform. I want to be clear. Like they have the ability to just roll those people into their, you know, MailChimp or whatever marketing they utilize. Uh, but it's more of a, a lot of small businesses don't necessarily have like that, you know, fully built out like drip marketing campaigns right. and that kind of stuff. Exactly. So it, it operates as kind of an entry point into that. Um, and for businesses that didn't have, you know, an initial customer list and customer base it gives them a great starting point.
0: Right. So you're taking, so they're basically as cash is coming in, they have their income account, gross revenue, money in, you're taking a cut of that gross revenue percentage to pay back the investors. So do you get involved with like fiscal responsibility or as far as Coaching in, like, getting them to make sure that they're like, hey, you know, if you put aside 5% of your total gross to pay back your investors, like, are you putting that in a check, a separate checking account to make sure you have the money to pay back your investors? That
1: that feeds way back into that first part of the process when I talked about the, you know, working through the pricing of the security with the businesses. Yeah. Like, in that process, we're going through that model and be like, hey, this is what this is going to look like. Like, based on your projections, if this is going to be your revenue, this is your net profit, you know, you need to be like pricing this to make sure that you're able to service the debt or else it's not going to make sense right. and we are only launching businesses that the ec- economics of that makes sense.
0: So typically say I'm I I'm I'm aiming for 15% profit. Like I'm I have a really profitable model and I want to do 15% profit. Well, we'll just make it 10% for easy math. Of that 10% profit that I'm planning on making, what percentage of that do you recommend people put aside for
1: It really depends on what their gross revenue share is. Like yeah. we we kind of know that ahead of time, right? So because it's tied to like gross revenue, it's going to usually be a much smaller percentage. Uh, businesses are like anywhere from like 0. 0.5 to maybe like 4.5 percent of gross revenue over a period of time. And it varies based on the, you know, the actual economic and operating model of the business in the category. You know, cannabis, for example, is an incredibly heavy cash flow focused business with much higher margins. When we're launching a cannabis business and they're looking at their margins, they have a lot more to play with in terms of that debt servicing based on it. Also, cannabis is inherently, you know, a newer, riskier industry. If we look at, you know, the priced returns for these cannabis businesses um, that launch on the platform, those are definitely in the highest end of you know, risk reward uh, in terms of how they price them. For a restaurant that's a new operator that's launching their first location and, you know, maybe they like had worked like back at a ha- back house um, at a restaurant for a while, they have some restaurant experience, but this is their first time launching a restaurant, like, a huge one- risk. It's a huge risk, and we yeah. want businesses and we work with businesses to be pricing risk appropriate. Whereas, if you have like a Rachel Miller that uh, <laughs> launched Nightshade nice Noodle Bar and crush it, and like is going out, her second raise when she raised for Sin City Superette, you know her the way she priced her cost of capital was lower, and rightly so because of how de-risked it was in the current environment, and her like she has you know the yeah. skin in the game, the backing, and the experience. And, and outputs, <laughs> yeah, yeah, to prove it, right, right.
0: right. Uh, okay, so with the time we have left, we only got a, a couple more minutes left. Um, did you want to touch on in- investor relations a little bit? I, mean, I think we kind of talked about that a little bit with how, yeah. but wrap that. I mean, just wrap
1: really quickly, like you know, part of the the value of Mainvest and why it leads to you know. I think the the counter to the stigma of, like, 90% of restaurants fail in their first year of operations, very inherently so, is it's not just capital. It's not just loyalty. It's also, like, that engagement with the community, that front-end marketing. And investor relations, you know, these investors, because they're aligned in incentive for this business to succeed and, like, every dollar of revenue you generate incrementally over your initial projections are – you know, it's not like they're getting paid back more, but it does – they get their return faster. It's a better investment. The better you do, yeah. They're incentivized for you to succeed, and so having that base and being able to utilize them as a broadcast channel, you want to be updating them around everything going on, not just the good, also the bad. Like these yeah. are some challenges we're facing, and we've had businesses that you know we see it naturally happening. Like we have uh, it was a cookie place that uh, was able to secure a you know procurement deal with a local college because one of the investors like was like, oh, this is amazing. Like I, I want to connect you and like actually act as like building blocks and is like business development because of that aligned incentive. Yeah, man.
0: Um, I, 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 I could honestly continue talking to you, but I want to respect your time. I know you got a meeting on the heels of this. So uh, before we say goodbye, um, we like to wrap up uh by calling somebody out. So as an industry, as a as a as Mainvest is well tap into the world of restaurants. Who has like who do you think I should get on the show? Who do you respect and admire? Somebody who's just doing an amazing job, who's really turning the industry upside down, and who has something a story to share.
1: This is so tough for me because you're gonna make me play. Like, uh, I, I it's tough because <laughs> can't play favorites. Um, I mean, there. Look, again, we've worked with. 600 700 like i think 700 plus like launch businesses we've got this amazing group of businesses um within the subset of restaurants i've got to put me on the spot i could say like one for each state uh like
0: go through gut man
1: i gotta go with my gut you know i think um i would say like rachel's such a great example she's recent i already had her on the uh, show <laughs> but so there's a brewery that also like runs a restaurant out of the brewery i, I I feel like that's a fair enough overlap um, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, called Nexus Brewery. And Ken, the owner of that, spent the majority of his uh, life um, running a local community bank and left that local community bank to start Nexus Brewing. Um, I think the Nexus ties to a huge fan of Star Trek. So it's a Star Trek themed brewery. And he is the definition of community focused entrepreneur with an immense amount of vocational skill, technical skill, and passion around the community and supporting that just watching them from when they raised, I think pretty early on into the pandemic, but during the pandemic raised around $150,000 for the expansion of the brewery to where he's at right now. And like just the continued success and, you know, seeing like, random press articles about like what he's doing in the community. The impact he provides just is a full like 360 overlap with what we believe in and what we're doing.
0: That's Ken Nexus Brewing. And that's in Alabama, um, Albuquerque, New Mexico, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Look out. I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. And uh, this is where we let the listeners know what's the best way to connect.
1: Obviously shoot an email over to support at mainvest if you want to correct directly with someone on the team via email, or just head over to Mainvest, create a free account, and let us know how we can help.
0: And this is episode uh one thousand and sixteen. So you can head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash one zero one six i'll have a summary of today's discussion as well as any links to get over there and uh look for an affiliate link because uh i'm gonna do my best between now and when this goes for live sure. we'll give you some up all right cool that's it uh and there, now is where i say nick there is no questioning my man you are unstoppable and thank you for the the positive work you're doing in the industry uh, thank you so much for coming down pleasure's mine cheers <laughs> There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Nick Matthews, for coming on the show and talking to us about Mainvest. And this company, um, you know, they reached out to me not that long ago. I am always very hesitant about featuring companies on the show that haven't first been referred to me organically. But I got to digging and looking into this company because I sincerely believe in what they're trying to do and it just so much aligns with what we're trying to do here at Restaurant Unstoppable, which is transform the industry. And we do that by getting creative and finding alternative resources and ways to execute our vision. And I love this idea of getting investment from your community. I think one of the biggest reasons why we haven't done this in the past was because the framework wasn't there. There wasn't a path of least resistance to put your money local. And a tool like this gives your community the the option to invest in local business. And then you have this community of people who literally are bought in and they're going to bring their friends and family there. They're going to support you. I I love this. I think this is terrific. I'm really excited about this. I'm excited to see their growth. And I also did my due diligence. We have people at the network or I should say in Restaurant Stoppable network who have used this resource, uh, who kind of vouched for the their the service. Uh they had success with it. I've had past guests that I were not aware of that use the service. So definitely go check out Mainvest. There will be a link in the show notes. Head over to restaurantstoppable dot slash one zero one six. We'll have an affiliate link in the show notes if you want to support this podcast. Um, then please use our links. Thank you in advance. If you forget to use the link, please make sure you tell them that you learned about this, this resource through Restaurant Unstoppable. And hopefully, they still honor the lead. But the best way to make sure we get the, 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 the credit is by using those links. So I do want to let you know we have some things happening in the network. You're already aware, but we got to echo this. I, I don't think I actually told you yet that Restaurant Unstoppable's, uh, the network's Coffee with Eric is coming back. So if you want to hang out with me, have some coffee, uh, we talk about anything. Uh, we got a lot of actually feedback from people in the network that they want us to bring back coffee with Eric. And that really what it is, it's just a place to offload. It's a place to get it out, to have people there that are ready to listen. To And, you know, are we going to give you exactly what you need to hear? Not always. Who knows? Maybe we don't have your answer, but just being able to get your thoughts out. To work through your thoughts and have other people who get it is so powerful it's so comforting and if you just want to be able to hang out with other restaurant owners across the nation and get your thoughts out and have you know people to share perspective and feedback and there's 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 strength in numbers and we're here for you so starting um this monday actually sorry i should say next monday At 3 p.m. If you want to hang out with me and a few other people in the network and shoot the shit, um, we're going to be there. And uh, hopefully we do this like once a month. Uh, Then also on the 21st at 3.30 p.m., we have Christine Miles coming into the network to talk about the recipe for making a lasting impact on your restaurant through listening. If you did not catch my episode with Christine Miles uh, on how to become a better listener you're missing out. Uh, listening is the majority of communication. If you're not a good listener, you're missing out. We're going to dive into how to become a better listener in that workshop. So RSVP, uh, I think we actually have maybe a couple more books left. Um, I think we might have one more book left. So head over and RSVP to that workshop. If you want to get a free copy of Kristen miles book. All right. That's it for today. Thanks for sticking around this long until next time. Peace out.